Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today our guest is Maggie Chung, and she has been investing in real estate since 2011. And during that time, she has focused mostly on buy and hold rentals, private lending, both passive and active investing through real estate syndications. She's also passionate in following and implementing a financial philosophy that grows wealth at a steady pace and over time, allowing her to be at ease and share moments with her family and her own time. And she has a background working in large financial firms, including Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, where she specialized in risk management for the firm's investment banking and investment management businesses. She also holds certified her CPA and certified fraud examiner certifications. So Maggie, thank you so much for being on the show today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me on. So Maggie, let's start off by if you can share a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate. Yeah, I think I'm very much similar to a lot of other real estate investors in some way that our parents are taught us that we buy real estate traditionally, just buy it and pay it off. That's how we started me and my husband building our portfolio, just buying one property at a time. And just paying down as much as possible. So then eventually it will pay us back and as when we retire. So I guess we live in New Jersey. So building our portfolio, we just kind of realized it doesn't make any, at some point, it doesn't make any sense because you start doing a lot more rentals you have, the more tenants you have, the more problems you have. And then because we're in New Jersey, the capital in order to put in and also the taxes, you're really not making much cash flow. Of course, you know, you are looking at appreciation, but you can't bank on that in certain times, especially in rental, I mean, residential real estate. So there's really just, I see it's almost like, how do we scale this and how do we create more passive income by not just buying one property at a time? It was pretty painful for us, and especially when we were both full-time employees in our world. In our world. So. I'm not sure if I answered that question, but... <laughs> okay. No, yes. No, yeah. thank you so much. So mm-hmm. originally it started with you and your husband started off buying the traditional pathways. So you bought those investment houses to do short-term rentals or long-term rentals initially? No. Yeah. Long-term rentals because we were both full-time employees and we, my background is in audit as well as my husband. He's an IT auditor. So we both are working for financial companies. So hours you had to put in is really long. So... And plus we have like starting our family. And so there's really no time for a short-term rental. I know the margin is better there, but the time to in order to put in those to really create because short-term rent is almost like a hospitality. So you have to be there pretty present to in order to make sure those are run well. So ours is just more like long-term rentals. So and that that's kind of how we built it up. So when you first started, did you have a set goal in mind to reach a certain level of passive income in real estate to be able yeah. to cover it? Like, what did you guys think about in terms of when you guys got started? We have no goal in mind because we can't really conceptually see it at that time because all we know is you only will invest in something that you know, especially for me, I'm more risk averse because I'm coming from an audit background. So for me at that time, I was just like, okay, let's just buy this buy properties in our backyard 
what we know and we can touch it, feel it. And I know it's going to take a long time, but just start from there and see where we go. The end goal in mind, I know that, okay, we want to replace at some point, replace our active income to more passive income. But that was so daunting to me because we were both W2 employees. We just have to start somewhere. So our first step was just, okay, let's just buy one at a time and then build up from there, the experience and the risk tolerance. So that's kind of how we kind of felt mental, like just one at a time, slowly and maturely. Yeah. I think a lot of us kind of start out that way. Even me and myself and my husband too, that's how we started too, because that's traditionally, that's how we know about real estate. It's you just mm-hmm. buy it traditionally, you put the 20% down or whatever like that, and then you can rent it off and gain some of the profits. So for you, after you looked at that model and then you did other things in real estate also, why did you decide to pivot from the single family rentals into the other aspects within real estate? And why did yeah. you and when? Yeah, I think the pivotal time it was for me was when I had my second child. And then I, we both knew, my husband and, both, and I knew that working so much in a W-2 job, eventually it doesn't make any sense because we cannot commit well, I myself, I couldn't commit to my family and my, as well as my job. And I'm very, I like to dedicate them something at a hundred percent, over a hundred percent on something. So when I have my two kids, it's starting to kind of clash together and I can't dedicate my job and also my family. We decided that I have to take a step back. So I quit my job cold. I mean, of course, you know, we have savings and my husband's job was able to kind of cover all the, our needs. So I didn't, I was going to go back to court, but I did not know. It was just a matter of time, but also I did not want to go back because I knew I wasn't going to perform the way that I wanted, would want to because of my family. I wanted to more something more flexible. So at that time, I sat down with my husband and was like, okay, give me a year. Let me try to figure out this real estate career, what, what have you, and try to something out. And that's where we budgeted for a year for me to kind of, that's where I went out. Now, listen to podcasts. I went to conferences and went to local meetups. And just kind of connect with other people, how they started their strategy. And that's when I started doing like private lending. Also, I shadow someone who basically a flipper. She flips houses in my local market. And she's a, she's a former accountant. Somehow I'm attracting to a lot of similar backgrounds. So she kind of paved a way for me to see that, okay, it's a life outside corporate. And you can start a career and restart your career in real estate. There is a light and a tunnel. You don't have to go go back to a corporate. So that's kind of like how I pivot to starting to realize, okay, there is something outside of corporate and I can do something with real estate. So I kind of tried different avenues. I shadow her for three months, just kind of understanding how improving her process, understanding how she flip houses. And but also realized that that is not something I want to do. And in the meantime, I also got into a couple of syndication as a limited investor. And that's when I realized because I've seen these deals packaged at a larger scale at the bank level and how the banks are doing their due diligence, packaging the SEC filings and PPM. So when I realized that I can invest in these deals, a limited partner, that kind of opened the door for me. It's like, okay, there might be something there. So that's when I started investing one and then two and three. I think for limited partnerships and tying out different operators and understanding how their model is. And I kind of got caught that bug and felt like, okay, let's try to figure out how to get more involved. That's kind of starting kind of my journey to multifamily today on a GP side. 
Yeah, it's interesting when you have a similar backgrounds to other people because you can start talking the same language and like the background and the understanding of like the numbers and how you communicate is different. Like doctors have a different language with each other. And so when they talk, they have a different way of communicating. Finance people, we have a different way of communicating. IT people will have a different way. It's so interesting, like the people that come and are attracted to the same similar types of people just because we can explain things similarly and you can relate to, to their situation. Yeah. I think that's how we are also attracting our potential investors as well. <laughs> so we're attracting similar people and similar backgrounds, CPAs, auditors, and people who are more risk averse people. Like you said, we are you kind of speak in the same language. So when you start off as a limited pass or a limited partner in the syndications, mm-hmm. Because you also have the audit background, what were some of the metrics that were really important to you to make sure that those numbers are viable and that you're comfortable with those projections? Yeah, that's a great question. So as auditors, we doubt everything. Yes, <laughs> that's the job. You got to put yes. the holes into everything. <laughs> So kind of almost like trust and verify situation, you get presented on materials like investor deck. And so I like to kind of like pick it apart a little bit. If they share, especially rent comps, I will double check it just to go on the website and see if it's reasonable, if they're really saying within reason where they presenting in the deck. I don't like look at it exactly to the T, but it's within reason, right? So I kind of like pick it apart in different area of the deck to just verify, okay, yeah, it seems reasonable. Looks like their operators are truly presenting what their best knowledge for. That's really at the end of the day, what you're looking for is the operator honest? Is there, are they transparent? And also they have integrity to share information that is important that help you make the decision. So that's kind of how I kind of test and verify. If there's something like that's kind of different from what I am seeing independently, I will also ask the question. That doesn't mean that they are malicious. It's, it's more like maybe just they're looking at a different lens. So I would like to understand what it is. And maybe they have a reasonable explanation that gives me a little more comfort. So, and how they interact with me is important as well. So as you were trying to discover your role within real estate and how you wanted to move forward in this space, how did you take a look at the environment and what you wanted to do so that you weren't creating another job for yourself? Because it sounded like to you, it was important to make sure that you had enough time freedom to spend with your family. And then going into real estate, how did you balance all of that? And how did you look at it as a way to give you more of that flexibility in your life? Yeah. I think the first thing is I know like whatever I do, it's some term that I picked up recently. So kind of like a creator, a new job or whatever you have, you're creating something. So for me, it's important for me. I have to have the flexibility. But the second is like, do I like it enough that it doesn't feel like a job? So, and I think I found a place that I feel comfortable with because I am pretty analytical background. So looking at deals, it's exciting for me. <laughs> so, cause I like to see how I'm good at identifying value and being able to strategize and put a team together and look at spreadsheets and spreadsheets <laughs> and I'll be able to see, okay, this is something that works and this deal works and be able to put together a team partners to take down a deal. That's exciting to me as well as the like hunting a deal, like getting in front of a broker or someone uh, that in order to, I think what I mean to say is like, I like the process of getting that deal. 
and the process of getting that deal, if I love the process, I think it's easier. It doesn't feel like a job for me. So that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. Because <laughs> you want to be able to love what you do. And then if you're in a job where it's kind of like you're pulling teeth, it's hard to want to <laughs> think about it long term or at least be in there for a long period of time if you're not like really enjoying what you're doing. Sometimes we have to do yeah. those types of things still, but we try to. I think it's just about choice and where we want to spend our time. Yeah. So mm-hmm. after you participated in a couple of syndications as a limited partner. Did you continue focusing on syndications or did you also focus on other areas within real estate at simultaneously? What did you do after that? Yeah, I pretty went kind of full force into multifamily syndication, more on the GP side. So at the same time, we do have portfolio of other things that's outside of multifamily real estate. So like, for example, we also invest in ATM syndication just to kind of like diversify our own personal portfolio between me and my husband. I invest in those. But for me, I actively, I look for, I look for multifamily syndication. That's what my role is as a general partner is to look for these deals. So as a general partner, and then in today's market, especially, what are some mm-hmm. of the things that you're looking at now that makes a good deal for you? And has your investment strategy changed with the current environment that we are in now? Yeah, definitely. The debt market is changing. Of course, it's a different environment. COVID and it's a different environment now. It's always changing, right? So I think, but fundamentally, I think what our strategy hasn't changed. Meaning, we're still going through looking at underwriting, being conservative, and I think more now we got to be more make sure that we have levers to pull when we need it, and not to be too aggressive in certain things, which we would typically not. And I also work with two others ladies who are from CPA audit background. So there's three of us <laughs> vetting a deal. If you can imagine bar room talk. So I think we always have a mindset of looking at the fundamentals. Are the rents supportable and are they are we increasing too much that the market or the median in-house income cannot bear? So we want to make sure that we have enough cushion in those areas. I also look at the market itself. Is it growing? What's the city doing? How are they planning? Are they progressing? Are they, if they're regressing and they're spending money and trying to fix up something? Or they're actually thinking long-term, 10-year planning, and they're trying to revitalize their downtown. That's something that we like to see. So we spend a lot of time to verify those data points uh, by talking to the city officials but also looking at data itself, like our competing household income, jobs, and unemployment rates. So we cross-check and double-check on all those numbers before we pack. That's all those metrics support a underwriting. So that so the fundamentally, we haven't changed. <laughs> so, so we stick to conservative numbers, but we definitely, it's a changing time. So we are all definitely thinking more of, okay, how to stress our deals. Is it still working? Do we stress it? We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. 
To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. So when you're looking at all those different metrics, what are some of the tools that you utilize to do your research and your data? If you can share just a couple of them. Yeah. The first thing I like to look at, it's a really quick, is just going to citydata.com. And that's my first thing. If somebody told me a broker talk, brings a deal to me on certain city, I look at citydata.com and look at the progression of that city, just a high level, like how much does the population grown over the 20 years? How much have the income has grown over the 20 years and how much the housing market has grown over the 20 years, period. Now that that's kind of give us a little high level data point. If it's no hard rule, but I like to see like maybe 20% in population growth, 30% in household income and 40% in home value growth. That's just a high level. But then if it meets those general criteria, I will drill down there's an actual map in citydata.com, kind of like where you can identify where your property is and is it in a higher income or lower income or the other thing that in home values as well in that particular spot. And then I look at the map, Google map, and just see what's out there and what's in, in the area. That passed the first layer, then I'll go to the next layer, which is going to the industry in that city and what kind of industry is in there, top of course in there. And there's data.io that is a very good kind of like consolidate everything in one place where you can see that heat map in there. So that the second layer and then third layer, then you had to bring on the co-star report and verify a little bit more. And so that's kind of my funnel. So starting from city data IO and then co-star and you dig and dig and dig until <laughs> until the deal makes sense or it dies. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So Maggie, you also mentioned that you also invest in ATM syndications. So I just want to just talk about that really quickly. And why did you get into ATM syndications? And what about that asset class attracts you? Yeah, so there's a different ways of investing. So, so the deals that we look for is more value add deals in multifamily syndication. So if you imagine that you have to put a business plan, you have to be really hands-on to make sure that project goes through. So you had to put in the business plan and the value is, I would say, delayed gratification because you had to put in the work in order to see the growth. So that's one strategy, right? So personally, I think we like to balance it a little bit more. So we're more cash flowing, cash flowing ATM syndication where you get a return on a regular basis, but you're not going to get the upside. So that was how I was, how me and my husband are thinking when we're going to ATM syndication versus the, the multifamily's value add play that we are going. So that's kind of feel there that that's a good way to balance our own portfolio. Got it. And for you, Maggie, what are you most excited about coming up here in the near future? I think this year it is challenging times right now in debt market, but I feel like it's also a year for operators to shine. So I feel like if you stick to your fundamentals and you can get through. And I think for people who are not as conservative as who are buying properties, there might be some opportunities that's come up because they might not be operating as well. So I think there will be a lot of opportunities coming out from that angle. So we're excited <laughs> So to see for that. And how has real estate investing impacted your life so far? Personally, I grew and mentally <laughs> as well. Because I always thought there's only one way to make money, which is to stick to your job, you know, get your 401k, and that was it. But I think stepping outside of the corporate world 
kind of give me the opportunity to kind of see what's out there and really be in entrepreneurship and really, okay, you can create something with your two hands for the lack of better words and be able to really make anything that I'm excited. And I also feel like I grew a lot over the past three years in this business. So, and it was just, a, I feel blessed and also feel very blessed that I'm working with uh, partners that are in the same boat and same mindset. So I don't know if I answered your question, blabbing on. <laughs> no, no, you did. Thank you. And I, I'd like to follow up on that a little bit more too, yeah. because the corporate job, you know, everybody is saying it's safe, secure, you know, where your income is coming from. When you jump into entrepreneurship, it's a little bit, you don't have that consistent weekly, bi-weekly paycheck coming in every single week or bi-weekly or anything like that. For mm-hmm. you, were you ever nervous leaving, not going back to the corporate world and just focusing on the entrepreneurship side? Like, Did you ever have that nervousness or anticipation at all? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was more than that. It was just more than letting go of the paycheck. It was letting go of your identity. Mm-hmm. Because I was auditor, but I was a VP in my company. And to give up all, all that, we just kind of have an identity crisis. <laughs> and I think it's really having to let go of that identity and be open to change. Because if you don't, you kind of have to realize, okay, your auditor title or what have you, your whatever position you hold is just a title. It's not really who you are. So... I think I have to step outside of that comfort zone in order to create something better for myself. So totally that was full anxiety and full nervous wreck. There were times I was like, did I do the right thing? <laughs> <laughs> so the first year was definitely a lot of that self-talk and self-mental therapy and talking to myself. And like, <laughs> that's definitely is. But now I'm better. I think I see like results in my I think progress is important to me. So that's as long as I see it and I felt less nervous and felt a little bit more distance to that title role that I was very attached to. So what was the biggest contributor, do you think, for you that helped you accept or change your identity from the VP auditor to entrepreneur real estate investor now? Yeah, I think... Or I guess um, whatever title you choose to call yourself now? Yeah, I think the pivot was because I have a family, I figure out okay, what really realize like, okay, what is important to me? I think for me, it's definitely my family is the most important. So letting go of that title or VP is like a no brainer. Like that's a no brainer, right? But you still have an attachment to it because it's part of your identity for like so many years, 13 years. The shift is really okay. I think if I'm not attached to that, I have to tell myself I'm not attached to the title, then who am I? Because then I, uh, then you have to realize, okay, what are you good at? What are your superpowers? And can you apply that superpower to something else that is more in the entrepreneurial world? And I think that answer was, it didn't came out all at once, but it kind of grew over that year that I gave myself. Say, okay, because I've seen, I try something, okay, it doesn't work. Let's try something else. It doesn't work. But then after each of these road roadmap or road, roads, it leads you to something else. And that gives me that more confidence, okay, that something is out there. I can utilize my superpower in that field, which is deal hunting and deal analyzing. So uh, I think that it was not easy and it was not quick, but the transition was over time, over just given, I think, 
you really had to give, well, telling myself, you give yourself some flexibility and some patience because you can't expect that overnight. You can't get rid of your 13-year career and your identity overnight. So then what is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? Okay. I think I wish, I guess, if I had to go back in time, I don't know if I, I would do the same. I probably might do the same thing because at that moment in time, I don't know anything different or I'll be able to comfortably change my path. Even if I told my younger self, uh, it's just more like, okay, don't buy one property at a time. Probably don't buy in your own backyard where it doesn't make sense. You know, try to do different strategy. Like if it's New Jersey, so try if it's not cash flowing long-term property, then you have to look up for short-term. Short-term rentals, that makes more sense in, in areas that might not make sense to do long-term rentals. I think right now, it's because there's so many platforms to kind of learn, bigger pockets. And I think um, that's really, really helpful versus where I was younger. It, you really don't have any access and knowledge of all, all that. So all this information is in my fingertip at that point in time. Maybe it will change. Maybe I'll go in faster, scale faster. <laughs> so, but if I were to tell my younger self, like I would basically you know, do your research, try out different things and don't be afraid. And then what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? Persistence. <laughs> don't give up. I think if you, just because you're failing one thing doesn't mean that you suck on another. So I know I wasn't going to be a good house flipper. <laughs> So, but then there are skill sets that you might apply better for you. So if you try to pivot, keep on pivoting, you eventually find something that makes sense to you and you like it. And it will be like persevere and persistent and patience. Oh, PPP. Be <laughs> <laughs> <Thank> cubed. <laughs> Well, Maggie, I'm so glad that we got connected today and we got to have this conversation. And I'm really grateful that you've come on and shared your story and your background with us and what you're doing in real estate. So I really appreciate all of your time today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. It's such enjoyable. So then also for our listeners out there who wanted to find out more about your story, your background, what you do, where's the best place that they can go? So we have a website, sageinvestinggroup.com. You can also email me. It's Maggie at sageinvestinggroup.com. Awesome. Thank you very much, Maggie. Thank you. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.